Today I want to talk about quarreling. Quarreling. And the reason I'm talking about quarreling is because I want to go through a big body of material from the New Testament that are uh, generally called Paul's sin lists. Paul's sin lists. Lists are popular. They grab people's attention. There's a digital media company called BuzzFeed. Anyone heard of BuzzFeed? Okay, a few hands out there. Well, BuzzFeed has made a billion dollar media business out of clickbait headlines, like 10 things you must do now if you want to, or seven reasons you should never, right? You know, you've seen them all and you know you want to click, right? You want to click. Um, people love lists. It's a great way to remember things. It's a great way to organize things. And the Bible has lists in it too. I mean, the ladies uh, discussion, online discussion is what? the seven things God hates, right? There's a list. The Ten Commandments is a list. There's lots and lots of lists in the Psalms, for example. The Apostle Paul is known for providing interesting lists of spiritual virtues and vices. And the ones we're looking at are commonly known as the sin lists. And there are eight of them eight of them. There are probably more, but the general consensus when you look into what other folks say about Paul is that there are eight agreed upon sin lists. And there are other sin lists in the Bible beyond Paul. I'm going to limit myself to Paul today, otherwise it would just become too big a subject to handle. Okay, so what have I done? Well, I have, I have gone through these sin lists, and you see the verses listed up at the top there. Um, I'm a spreadsheet kind of guy, so this is how I think. And I, item, I, I wrote down all the vices or sins, or whatever you want to call them, that are in each list. And then I categorized them, and you'll see that I've put a little legend there where you see the categories. And at the top of many of these lists is sexual sins. It's a very important thing. Uh, then there are other categories that I came up with, uh, bad temper, I'm going to call another one greed, quarreling. I can't see the last one because of that drum cage. What is it? Temper. Silly old drum cage. So I compiled this list, all right, and I categorized them in five basic groups, all right? And each list contains vices from various different categories, okay? And sometimes the way Paul arranges them uh, they're grouped together for, I believe, specific reasons, you know, uh, sometimes for a cause and effect relationship. This leads to this, leads to this, leads to this, and you get that sort of thing in, in the list. Uh, today, I would like to address the sins and vices from Paul's sin lists, all right, but limit myself to the category of quarreling, quarreling. And the Quarreling contains these words, strife, self-ambition, sedition, heresy, conceits, tumults. Some of them are a little old-fashioned, but I'm sticking with the King James-y kind of language here because that's how you tie into all the lexicons and dictionaries that give you insight into the meaning of the word and how it's used. And what I've done is I've taken these words and then I have found all the places in the scripture where they are and gone through them, and we're going to talk about that today. And the, the multiple and different words that you have in each category, and today is just quarreling, but the multiple words, I think what we get is through the use of all these different words, like a diamond, you know, that has different facets, and you see it, and you see all the different facets, we're going to see different facets and aspects of quarreling by looking at all these different words that are used by Paul, Paul alone, to talk about quarreling. And uh, we'll find out some things about quarreling, like what do we tend to quarrel about? It's really, you're not gonna be surprised by any of this. What motivates quarreling? And what are the outcomes of quarreling? And how do we confront it? And that's all in there. So let's begin. The first section, and I'm going to do part one and part two and part three, the first part is strife, okay? Um, some of the words 
in Paul's list show up a lot more than other words. Some are onesies, all right? This one's not. This is mentioned nine times in the Bible, and it is sometimes translated as contention, uh, debate, strife, okay? The Greek word is eris, and that's how I kind of looked it up and was able to find all the instances. Let's go to Romans 1, verse 29. And see it in one of our sin lists. Romans 1, verse 29. And, you know, this is a longer list, but I'm just going to jump into the verse that is uh, containing the word at, at, uh, that we're looking at. So Romans 1, verse 29, talking about a lot of bad stuff here. Paul says, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife deceit, evil-mindedness, whisperers, etc. Okay, so if we go back to verse 21 and take a look at verse 21 through 24, we get a little bit of the context. The little bit of the context here, and it's illuminating. So Romans 1 verse 21 says, it uh, says in verse 21, uh, Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves." That's the prologue Paul uses, and then he ends up talking about strife at some point. So I put it to you that strife begins with a foundation of bad assumptions about reality and exchanging God for an alternative, right? Um, and a lack of spiritual enlightenment, darkness, as the scriptures say. That's what, that's what the scriptures are getting at when it talks about darkness. Just lack of spiritual enlightenment. Strife and debate also, as we read there in Romans, has a superficial appearance of wisdom, okay? People who get into arguments and stuff like that are very often, they perceive themselves and sometimes are perceived by others as, oh, well, they know a lot about this and that subject, and yeah, mm, boy, they're wise. So it has an appearance of wisdom, but closely linked to deceit, malice, and gossip, and we'll come back to this later. Okay, so the motives, the motives are tainted. They're unclean and they're degrading to body and soul. All right. And then Paul makes this weird connection, linking it to sexual perversion, right? And I think that there's a, there's a parallel there. Strife, quarreling are expressions of misdirected passion. And we'll come back to this because it is a connection you will see in the sin list. Misdirected passion, zeal without knowledge, if you will. So go to Romans 13. We'll take another look, uh, another instance of this in Romans 13, verse 12 and 13. Okay, so Paul says here, the night is far spent. He's saying, you know, time is running out. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness, there's that darkness again, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revel revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife, there it is again, and envy. But put on Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. So this is repeating the connection to darkness, okay? and passionate lack of self-control, right? The larger context, if you zoom back, you know, and, and this is one of the advantages of having a paper Bible is you can kind of look at the whole page layout and you can see what precedes it, what follows it more, more than you can like when you're on a tablet or a phone. Zoom back and you'll see that in uh, Romans 13, the larger context is, uh, comes out in, in the beginning of the chapter 13. It's, he's talking about submission to ordained authority. And he's talking about civil government there, right? 
That's the larger context. And then you move through and you see what follows it right afterwards in chapter 14. And we've gone through this as a congregation last year, judging other people on disputable matters. These are the two bookends of strife, okay? So what do we tend to quarrel about? Politics and religion, <laughs> right? That's a kind of a, a way it's been put over the years. Uh, politics, what do I mean by politics? Well, civil authority, Paul was talking specifically about your relationship with, you know, the, the, the prince or the governor of the town or whatever, but also church, and we'll see this in other of the instances here, problems with the church administration. And we also tend to quarrel, uh, quarrel about disputable matters. People don't quarrel about things that are indisputable. They quarrel about things that are disputable, dubious, unclear. Okay, those are the things we quarrel about, basically. I mean, you know, some people have a real talent for taking things that are indisputable and turning them into disputable things, but that's a different kind of mindset. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1, okay? Now, that doesn't mean that I, I'm saying we shouldn't talk about these subjects. That's not what I'm getting at at all. And I've been accused by some people over the years of saying, well, you were saying I can't talk about the Bible in, in, in church? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about disputing over dubious matters, okay? 1 Corinthians 1, verse 11 through 12 says this. Paul, he's concerned about this group of folks here, and he says this to them in this letter. He says, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. There's strife among you. Whoa. Now, I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas. And then there's always the folks who would say something like, well, I am of Christ. So, there's strife here, okay? And the strife is about what? The strife is, in my opinion, it's about what flavor of God's truth you like. What flavor do you like? Um, you know, Paul, Apollos, hazelnut cream. And Paul counteracts this situation, this argument over, uh, you know, what flavor is best. By talking about the ministry, and I'm not going to go through it all, you can read it on your own, but this is what he follows up with. He talks about how the ministry is all working they are all working here for the same unified goal. But they're doing it in different ways. And you see that. I mean, we've got the people here who speak and teach, and they're all different. They have different ways of doing that. And some of them really speak to you, and others don't. I know. Uh, but they're all working towards the same unified goal. Paul says, I, Paul, preached the gospel to you. And then, you know, you can read this. He says, but I purposefully had someone else perform the baptisms to avoid factionalism. Okay? Uh, I plant. Apollos waters. Right? That's what he says. And then, you know, later on in chapter 2, he follows up with all this by talking more at length about wisdom. Godly wisdom. Which is humility. That's godly wisdom. In the context, especially of 1 Corinthians 2. Humility. So look, um, you know, can you say something like this? Well, you know what? I tell you what, we're, we're, you know, let's say there's some disputable matter on the table. Well, I think my position on this disputable matter is correct. But for the sake of harmony, I am going to let it go. I would rather... I would rather keep on fighting until everybody agrees that I am right. That's what I want. Because that builds my ego. 
Plus, if I back down now, well, then people are going to think that I lost the argument. They're going to think, you know, she's right and, 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 and I'm wrong and I lost in that. You know, that takes my ego down a notch. That bugs me. I don't like that. However, I will practice godly wisdom and let it go. Remember, this is disputable matters, okay? And that takes self-control and humility. Go to 1 Corinthians 3 and verses 1 through 3. So following all this stuff Paul's getting into here, he circles back to strife. And he says this, I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but like carnal people, like fleshly people, as worldly people, as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal, worldly, for where there is envy, strife, there's that word again, strife, and divisions among you, you are carnal and you're behaving like mere men, like, you know, just like flesh and blood, regular people, not the mind of Christ. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Aren't you like living in the flesh? So what he says here, there's another aspect on the little facet of quarreling. What he's basically saying is, this strife impedes spiritual comprehension. We could go on to bigger and better things, but we keep coming back to this stuff because you guys just, I don't know, they're, they're not getting it, right? So I, I, uh, I made this little image here of this tinfoil hat person, you know, because the tinfoil hat is like, you know, you know, you don't get the UFO waves. Well, you're going to be blocked from spiritual comprehension because division confuses people. When there's division, it confuses people. It throws doubt in their mind, and it is bad. So you might have mastered uh, fine points of ancient languages, or maybe you know, you're an expert on the Hebrew calendar, uh, maybe you're really good at prophecy, maybe you're really awesome at therapeutic counseling, maybe you see yourself as being the most loving person in the congregation. Everybody has their talents, right? Everybody has their skills. You may indeed have a better vision for the direction that the church should take. You might be right. You might have a great concept. But if the way that you use this insight leads to division, it is of no value. Zero. And all the gifts and skills that we can possess and sharpen and be really good at, they can be used to build up the church or to tear it apart. Like, like everything else, I mean, so many things are, they're a double-edged sword. Ah, it can be used this way or that way. And the most common division, I think, that I see, and I bet you see it too, of the present age, is like a very personal thing where people tear themselves apart from the body. They tear themselves apart from the body and just say, I'm going to just go solo. That's a form of division as well, if you think about it. And it too casts doubt into people's minds. You're not helping. So, Paul uses the, the example of a body, right? He talks about the body of Christ and he talks about all the body parts and how they function together and they work together. So let's take an eyeball, okay? So the eyeball says, you know what? I'm the eye. I am really important. I can see things that other people can't, other parts of the body can't see because I'm the eye, right? And so the eye decides to disconnect itself from the rest of the body, right? Well, what happens if the eye disconnects itself from the rest of the body? Well, it's going to pop out of your head and it's going to fall down to the ground, bounce around a little bit and then be there, right? 
That's what would happen if your eye decided to disconnect. And what happens to an eyeball if it was just sitting there on the ground for a little while? Well, ants will crawl along and they'll get on top of it and they'll start taking little nibbles and bites out of it. It just, it'll rot, right? That's what'll happen. And after it's been sitting there for a couple of weeks and it's all rotten and there's flies buzzing around and maybe a bird's pecking at it or something like that, would you look at it and say, that's part of my body? Would you? No. You'd say, no, that's a piece of meat on the ground and it's half rotten, half dead. Well, not half dead, it's completely dead. And I, I, I think, you know, this, the same logic applies to the argument I, I'm going to separate myself from the body, but I still consider myself to be part of the body. I'm going to step away from the church, but I still think of myself as being part of the church, right? Well, <laughs> that's kind of silly. That's like Mr. Eyeball. And it's kind of foolish. And it's proud, and it's not godly wisdom. All right, next slide. A couple more references. 1 Timothy 6, verse 4. 1 Timothy 6, verse 4. Uh, Paul is talking here about more trouble. He talked a lot about trouble. Uh, he's talking about you know, sort of a straw man here, but, you know, a real person. But he says, this is this kind of person. He is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes, strife, okay, strife, and arguments over words from which come envy, strife. Oh, sorry, I got the strife reference there. From which come envy, strife, reviling. So there's the word strife. Sorry, I got it backwards. From which come envy, strife, reviling, and evil suspicions. Okay, so here... There's another facet of quarreling, and we see that strife is linked to excessive focus on words. Now this is for the church, but I think we see this writ large in society where people are obsessed with words. I mean, look, we're people of the word, right? You got the word of God in your lap. Words are important to us, aren't they? They're very important to you and me. That's why we're here. That's the only reason we're gathered together. We've got the power of the Spirit, of course, as well, but we're, we're, we're unified through words. Words are important, but you can take it too far. Well, what exactly do you mean by the word is? So excessive focus on words. And, you know, the linkage here in uh, 1 Timothy 6, verse 4, it's also driven by pride. And that's something God wants you and me to actively resist and overcome. Again, look at the larger context. Go back to the beginning of this chapter and you'll see in 1 Timothy 6 verse 1, what is he talking about? Interaction with authority figures. Here, slaves, masters, your boss at work, things like that. Okay, so let's take a look at Titus 3 and verse 9. In similar fashion, but a slightly different facet, Paul says, avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless, and reject a divisive person after the first and second admon sorry, after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning and is self-condemned. Okay, so here we see quarreling comes from an excessive focus on law. What does that mean? Well, it's, it's talking about focus on the fine points of the law. Okay, we're not talking about whether or not the, the Ten Commandments are valid. We're talking about someone who wants to get in there and start talking about details. For example, the do's and don'ts related to you know, what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath. Um, Jewish traditions is another big one that comes up interpretations about the application of, of the commandments in the 21st century, which are different than they were 100 years ago and way different than they were 2,000 years ago. 
but they still apply in principle, which is, I think, why God keeps the commandments very simple, because they need to be applied in a multitude of different settings, but it causes, uh, you know, it gives us opportunity to discuss, but we can make it into a word game, and we can make it into a fight, or we can make it into a struggle. And sometimes, on stuff like this, because this is more your disputable matters, right? Because you're getting into the law, you're getting into God's word, this is important. All right, it is, yeah. Sometimes church administration has to weigh in on areas which are not clear, okay? Not clear. And you might sometimes agree, and sometimes you might disagree. But if the matter was crystal clear, there wouldn't have been a dispute in the first place. And there wouldn't be a need for any kind of an administrative decision, right? But again, notice the larger context here in Titus uh, 3, verses 1 through 9. What is he talking about? Being subject to rulers and authorities. Oh, it just seems to be linked again and again and again and again. Remember what I said? What do we, talk, what do we fight about? Politics, words, stuff like that. So strife comes from too much attention on disputable matters which do not move us forward on the path to eternal life. And we also got a very clear action item, very clear action item, which is make note of people who do this and what? Go up and talk to them after services every day because, you know, that's what they need. No. It says, make note of these people and stay away from them. So if you, you know, you have to use your wisdom and discernment, of course. But when you encounter that, the scriptural advice is, turn around and walk in the other direction. Just avoid people that are doing it. Okay, part two. We spend a lot of time on the first word because there's just a lot of references to it in Scripture. This one has a fair number of references as well, but not as many. Selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. And, uh, you know, I put a little bit of info here about the, you know, what the word is. And here's some other ways you might see it defined. Uh, selfish ambition is the word erethea, and it can mean seeking followers or factionalism. Okay, which means, you know, kind of creating a, a party. <laughs> in the NIV, I think in uh, one of the translations, it says party spirit, which I thought was you know, very well done. Good, good translation. The word come, it's derived from the word hireling, you know, someone who's a hired person. And the sense, therefore, is seeking to win followers or getting people over to my side. It's also translated as intrigue, okay? Let's take a look at James 3. Verse 13. James 3, verse 13 through 18 says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. God's wisdom is meekness, humility, foolishness to the world. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking or selfish ambition exist, confusion and every evil thing is there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without, par without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, again, we see this connection to wisdom. What's, what's real wisdom, all right? When people are good with words, and some people are really talented with words, and they've got this tremendous ability to spin out sentences that just captivate your attention, but they're 
their outlook on life is just wrong. And so those who are good with words and debate will present themselves as being wise and very often perceived as being, oh, that person's very wise. However, if the result of their words is strife, then this is not godly wisdom. If it's dividing people, it's not godly wisdom. And in fact, it's described as demonic. Godly wisdom, again, is meekness, personal humility, patience, self-control, by which we avoid acting ourselves with selfish ambition. We, we, we're not that person by putting on the meekness and humility of God's Spirit. Go to Philippians 2, verse 3. Great section on the mind of Christ says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But again, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So the antidote to strife is humility. And to avoid acting out on our own or your own selfish ambition, we should seek personal humility, which is patterned after the mind of Christ. And I kind of walked through a scenario a little bit earlier. So let me ask you, let's flip it around, okay? What about when you are the target of another person's selfish ambition? What about when you're the target? You know, someone's using the tactic of, of debate and words and getting in there on disputable matters or, you know, talking about the, you know, the administration of the congregation. Well, when people are doing that, they're usually trying to win you over to their side. Right? That's what it's all about. They're trying to win you over. See that they're right. So let me ask you this. I'll appeal to your pride. <laughs> Are you a prize to be won by someone else? Are you a trophy to be put in their little trophy case? Are you a notch on their gun belt? Is that what you are? There's a scripture in 2 Peter 2, which says, do not make merchandise of the brethren. Don't turn people into products to be bought and sold one over. So I'll appeal to your pride. Are you merchandise? Are you a prize to be won? I hope not. Okay, there's a connection. Um, during the previous section, I skipped over a few mentions of strife because I want to discuss them in connection with selfish ambition or factionalism. Go to Philippians 1, verse 15 through 17. Paul says this, and here we get into the two linked together here, strife and selfish ambition. He says, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife and some from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add to my affliction and chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. So what's he getting at here? Okay, well, look, some people preach the truth in a spirit of envy and strife and you know, self-exaltation and are driven by selfish ambition. You know, people like to have followers. You see that, that's one of, the, one of those little craven aspects of the social media boom is people like followers, you know, and they like likes, and they like, ooh, people like my thing, and they clicked on it, and ooh, you get the little adrenaline rush and stuff like that, right? So people like followers. In the situation that we're dealing with here, what was going on, people were positioning themselves as a better alternative to Paul. Here's this Paul guy, Paul's in jail. How can a legit pastor be in jail? This guy, Paul, he's, he's dubious. How about me? Why not keep the Sabbath over at my house? We've got a crock pot full of meatballs. It'd be great. Or maybe 
someone decides, well, you know, I think it's better to just keep the Sabbath alone. I just can't decide. Make note of people using this argument. And if a person has separated themselves from the congregation, you should consider everything they say as highly dubious. I didn't say wrong, I say dubious. Don't give your heart away, be skeptical. Okay, where's this person coming from? Do they have your best interests at heart? All right, let's take a look at this pattern a little more in detail. There's a pattern that we're gonna see in the next two examples. And I used English and Greek here to show you that I've kind of looked into it. The next two sin lists that we're gonna look at show how strife and selfish ambition are part of this pattern. Strife and then misdirected zeal and then passionate wrath and then finally selfish ambition or factionalism. Okay, and this is the sequence that we'll see twice. And in Greek, that's eris, zelos, thumia, and erethia. Okay? Now, zelos is the word zeal, right? Zeal can be good and bad. Literally, zelos means heat, right? hot. Thumia means heavy breathing. Okay? And both can be used in good ways. God has zeal, right? God has wrath, thumia. They can also be used in bad ways, okay? Which is why I say misdirected zeal, right? Passionate wrath, anger is another way it's translated. A person can be very zealous passionate about a subject, but completely wrong. I mean, look, we've got people who are really super duper passionate about medical freedom for transgender children. They're very passionate about it. Zealous, but it's built on a faulty assumption about objective reality, hearkening back to one of our first points. A you have a faulty idea of reality. But it's zeal, it's passion, it's just misdirected. And within the church, passion and zeal, well, sometimes they, they zero in on gray areas of doctrine or prophecy and become very, very, very hot and passionate about it. I mean, Paul says about himself, before his conversion, he was very zealous for God, but not according to knowledge. Go to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20. Here we'll see that sequence, okay? Um, where am I? Paul says, For I fear lest when I come, I won't find you as I wish, but I, or, or, or that I shall be found by you, such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions, okay, strife, Jealousy, zeal, outbursts of wrath, thumia, and selfish ambition. And it goes on and lists some more stuff. Backbiting, whispering, conceit, and tumults. Whew. So the context. In Corinth, Paul's ministry is under attack. You read through the both, both books. And it is Paul defending himself right, left, and center. He's under attack constantly. And it's largely over matters of personal style. And it's been a long time, but I went over this, uh, oh, I don't know, probably about seven or eight years ago. One of the big problems they had with Paul was about ministerial pay. And he talks about that in the book. And believe it or not, this is so opposite to the way we think nowadays, they were on his case because he didn't take money. How can he be a legitimate, uh, how can he be a legitimate teacher of truth if he doesn't, if no one pays him? Because that's the coin of worth, right? We know he's worthwhile if people are paying him, you know? Well, I know he's a good guitar player if people have thrown a lot of money into his guitar case, right? He didn't take money. He had other issues and reasons why, but that was really the 
core of what their, their beef with Paul was about. You're not like the professional speakers we see out in the Agora. You're just some guy. Matters of personal style. Apollos was much more polished, but he and Paul were not competitors. Foolish people turned the differences of their approach into a competition, and there were plenty of other contenders as well. Now go to uh, Galatians 5, verse 20. And people, you know, they got very hot and passionate about this stuff, and so there's a linkage here. Galatians 5, verse 20. Here's the list. Uh, You know, these are the fruits of the flesh. It says, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, strife, jealousy, zelos, outbursts of wrath, thumia, selfish ambitions, erythea. So here again, we see strife and debate heated up and cooked up by misdirected zeal and wrath leads to selfish ambition and factionalism. I think this is one of the instances where Paul listed them in a particular order, and we saw him do it twice, for a reason. In 2 Corinthians, um, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20, this quarreling and selfish ambition leads to some more bad stuff. It leads to deceit and gossip whispering, backbiting. That's a different category. I'll talk about that when I talk about the sins of the tongue, okay? In Galatians 5 verse 20, selfish ambition and factionalism is followed by sedition and heresy, which are other words in the quarreling category. So let's talk about sedition and heresy. Two items we find elsewhere on our quarreling lists, all right, they give us what I'm going to call finer gradations of factionalism. All right, let's, let's take factionalism, let's get granular. Let's talk about some finer gradations. Sedition. Sedition is actual division, all right? Uh, separating people into different groupings which are opposed to one another, okay? Previously, we had discussed Um, factionalism, which is sort of a group within a group, right? A group within a group, a subset, if you will. Whereas sedition takes it to the next level, which means to divide in two and to stand apart. When you look into the etymology of the word, that's what it comes from. Divide in two and stand apart. No longer a group within a group, but one that is separate and apart, right? So it's also uh, sometimes translated as simply division. Two references we've already looked at in Galatians 5 verse 20, where separation is a a product of a a mind not led by the spirit. And then uh, 1 Corinthians 3 verses 1 through 3, we looked at that one as well, where separation is based on opinions about leadership, administration, and mostly people's personality. One reference that we have not yet looked at is Romans 16. Romans 16. And I left the verse off my list here, so hopefully I can find it. I think it's uh, 16 verse 17. All right, so Romans 16, and it is verse 17, so yeah. It says, okay, I urge you, brethren, talking to the church, Okay, so this isn't about Paul railing on about the world and, you know, worldly people. He's talking to the church. He says, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses, seditions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and do what? Avoid them. For those who do such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. They're in it for themselves their own ego or whatever they get out of it, you know? So here again, repeat of our action item. Make special note of people who separate themselves and avoid them. Now, if someone separated themselves, it's a, you know, you'd think, oh, that's, well, I won't see them anymore, right? I'll avoid them. Well, it's not as simple as that. You know, people will call on the phone and say, hey, you know, or they'll, you know, they'll get in touch with you on Facebook or something, you know, and people have a way of reaching out. 
Avoid people. If you know that's what's going on, I mean, look, we're, we're all adults here. You know when this is happening. Use your godly wisdom, and the scriptural advice on how to deal with this is stiff, stiff arm. Just stay away from people like that, okay? And so, you know, sometimes it's pretty close. Sometimes, you know, you're talking about family members, people you're related to, stuff like that. In those cases, you know, you just gotta, you gotta change the subject. We're just gonna change the subject, okay? We're gonna talk about something else. People who separate themselves, avoid them, you know, we're not told to go and seek them out, try and win them over. It's just, we're not told that, we're told to stay away. Why? Well, because spending a lot of time with them will inject doubt into your mind. And frankly, friends, following God is hard enough without other people eating away at your confidence. You don't need it. So let's take a look at heresy. Heresy. Heresy literally means to take capture of someone by words and persuasion. Okay? So this is an instance, like I said, a finer gradation of factionalism. This is uh, creating a separate party that follows their own teachings and principles. I think sedition is more about who's in charge. I think heresy is more about what do we believe? Okay? Um, in Acts, this word is translated as sect quite a bit. It's used to describe the Pharisees. It's also used to describe the Sadducees. You know, they were separate because of things they believed. The Jews considered the early church of God a sect. Peter uses it to describe false teachings within the church. So, summary of these two. Strife over debatable teachings and internal politics. Right? followed closely by a selfish desire to win others over to their way of thinking leads to unnatural divisions among God's people. Avoid it, and avoid those doing it, and avoid being won over. Do not become someone else's prize. All right, we're getting down to the bottom of the list. Less common words. Conceits, all right? Conceits, sometimes translated as arrogance. Um, gonna deal with these ones kind of quickly. I only mentioned once. Conceits is a word that it means swellings. It's in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 20. So conceits, it's also translated as swellings. I think it's only used once. So it literally means swollen up, all right, or puffed up. It's a different word from the word you find, you know, when we talk about the leavening, but it, it means the same thing, swollen, inflated, puffed up, all right? Okay, so I put it to you, when people separate themselves into factions or into different groups, they do it because they think they're better. <laughs> I mean, do people break off and say, you know what, we're the lowliest of the low, I mean, yeah, so we'll just separate off into a different group. No, people separate into a different group because they think they're better. They're swollen up, they're puffed up. And, uh, you know, they might think, well, look, we have better understanding, we're more righteous, we're more loving, etc., 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 etc. Maybe they are. But we could use them here instead of going off onto their own journey. Add that to the church. Don't tear away from the church. That's just foolishness. Think of Mr. Eyeball. Now this one could have been in the other category of bad attitudes, but I put it in here for strife. It was, our, it was kind of like a, it was on the, on, the, on the fence. So the other word I've got is tumults. An odd word we don't use very much. It means disorder, right? Confusion, disorder. And uh, we see that also in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20. So this is talking about, you know, basically instability, confusion, and disorder. Well, this is an outcome. You know, we saw the strife, we saw the passions, we saw the selfish ambition, we see the whispering campaigns, we see the gossip, and then what does it lead to? What does all this lead to? It leads to tumults, right? People divided, 
people separated uh, from one another, are unable to fulfill the commission given to the church. If, we ha if this happens, we can't do the work God's given us to do. Shame on us. Gossip, slander, pointing out the sins of others is a justification for separating into a faction or cutting yourself off from the church, which weakens the church. And it does great damage to the person doing it. And it can do damage to you if you let people draw you in too. Because division causes doubt and isolation. And you need the support of other people in the congregation. Doubt is bad. So, <laughs> what's our takeaway? Thank you. <laughs> that was a real giveaway. <laughs> Your takeaway is avoid quarreling. Avoid quarreling. So what do we tend to quarrel about? Well, we quarrel about words. We quarrel about administration of authority, whether it's, you know, what's going on in the government out there, you know, in Washington, or whether it's what's happening in the local congregation and every grade in between, right? And it's usually on matters that are dubious and unclear, where there's more than one answer. What motivates our quarrels? Well, misdirected passions, you know, uh, zeal, pride, uh, self-centered pride, envy. What's the outcome of quarreling? Separation, isolation, and chaotic interactions among people, which lead to doubt. And doubt, doubt leads to people chucking the whole thing. Maybe it's you. So, action item review. One, avoid quarrelsome behavior in yourself by following the lead of God's Holy Spirit in humility, patience, and self-control. Two, if another person tries to draw you into their quarrels, the Bible's advice is to avoid them. 